Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 191st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that is ready, willing, and able to pioneer a new era of speculation. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, James. Uh, pretty quiet week in Magic Finance, yeah. all things considered. That whole expected break towards the end of the year, such a busy year for MGG Finance, we were thinking maybe Wizards would give us some time off. But no, alas, they have sent us back to the retired standard bulk boxes of yore to dig out our dig through times and treasure cruises, the etherwork marvels and smugglers copters, and sell them to the blissfully unaware. Yeah, this is uh, whew, really unexpected. Uh, so you know, I think we, we, yeah, I mean, we were both we were on the same page that we would see a new format. But uh, especially with Modern Horizons just having launched so recently, I don't think either of us expected it to be quite this early. Um, and this is, uh, you know, just, you know, it's, this is such, an, such a, a momentous occasion because the last time we got a new format was 2011. It's been eight years since a new format showed up. Uh so that does not happen. It does not come around very often. So this is very exciting and something that actually I think since I've been making content hasn't happened. Um, yeah. It's fun. It is fun to see how all this is going to play out. So just to, <clears throat> just to put a pin in it, Wizards announced a new format this week. It's called Pioneer. Start with how terrible that name is. <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, I know you're not a fan. Uh, well, you're concerned that it's going to match the same problem that it's like modern has. It's it's from two different angles. One is that <clears throat> you have one format for Magic Arena called Historic. You have another format for Paper Now called Pioneer. They both sound old timey, but they have a smaller, newer set list than modern, which, as with modern and postmodern art you would expect to be the newest segments of the art community likewise you would expect the word modern to be associated with the freshest format none of which is true <laughs> it's like people don't care over there in the in the branding department about what words mean it it is a little weird in that regard i don't uh i don't question that at all um and it's which is odd because if you want to create a set name that doesn't have that problem or a format name, I should say, that doesn't have that problem, you sort of have to divorce the pro the format name from that type of concept. Uh, and I'm not exactly clear where you're supposed to go with it to give the format its own identity without tying it into connecting it to a, a point in time. Like, did you have any that you thought were good ideas? I think you need to... I would have to sit down and spend a few hours. I, I would never come at a project like this and expect to pull it off right off the cuff. Sometimes you do. Um, 
you know, off the top of my head, some, even something like New Adventures or Adventure would have been something related to that kind of a word would have been better because it has a sense of urgency. It has a sense of wonder. It has a sense of that same thing that they were... The, the angle of Pioneer they were trying to lean into was the the exploration of the unknown, not the ancient and old-timey. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they don't they clearly didn't tap into is that globally like outside of the english-speaking markets the whole concept of pioneers going rolling across the prairies and their wagons and discovering the west part of the u.s it just has no resonance whatsoever in the same way that we people in the u.s and north america wouldn't know enough about the movements of peoples through the various portion like geographical portions of japan in the like in a specific era to get anything out of a reference to that era yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so like it's it's just like a really weird uh name that doesn't doesn't translate well. Right. At least modern is a little more cross cultural. Um and I've even heard <clears throat> some grumblings about using the term pioneer period because of the connotations in American of stealing, history. Stealing land and, and Yeah. Yeah. Go I, I had the same I mean, thought myself and I was thinking that I would never have okayed this name off the list because of the potential for that. Now you're pretty far removed inside a card game from what that refers to, but still the the core point is why take that risk when you get no benefit? If the thing that you were latching onto was exploration of new territory, there's so many other words and concepts that you could have run with. Like, as Mm -hmm. I said, the, the word adventure is just strictly superior to pioneer. Now that might not be where I would land, but I would certainly, Oh, I would, cross pioneer off the list immediately knowing that that was already better yeah i it is it's tough it's a weird name it doesn't feel correct on a in a chronologically because now we're going to get six years into the future like well modern is actually like the oldest format any plays pioneer is the format that's getting long in the tooth like what okay but so you know you, you kind of want those to not feel so we're, we're retiring the old format modern for the new format pioneer. Mm-hmm. It's just a branding failure on many levels. And like, I think legacy works as a format name, but that's because it sort of stands still in a way that modern doesn't, but essentially because legacy looks backwards. And as the format gets older, it's still a legacy, but modern looks forwards. And as the format ages, it doesn't look forward anymore. In the same way. Modern is a failure for the format uh, now that it's, you know, five, ten years down the road. It was really, really made a lot of sense in the moment when it was launched. But they didn't, in the same way that postmodern art, somebody was talking to me on Twitter about how, uh, you know, the concept of modern art and postmodern art traps the art world. Because what comes after postmodern, post-postmodern, like what's art in 300 years, post-post-post-postmodern, like you're, mm-hmm. you're you're trapping yourself by anchoring behind you and modern does the same thing because it, because they derived it from the same problem. Um, Whereas legacy and vintage work vintage less than legacy legacy, I think is probably the best Um, standards. Also not good. Um, It's best uh, indication is that it's the main format, but it's not even clear that that's true in magic anymore. Um, So, they could have done better is, is the bottom line. And people, Brian David Marshall was arguing with me, ah, it doesn't matter. Like people will memorize it after a few months and it will just become a, 
like hollowed out noun that doesn't need to carry any connotations. There's some truth to that for sure. But yeah, you can do that with anything like shell oil. Like that's just terrible branding from a hundred years ago where they just could like somebody got paid at $5 to draw a shell on a piece of paper. And then that was their brand. They, but you can do better and you have people you're paying to do that job. So you should do better. I mean, I agree with BDM that the term will lose its, will become abstract quickly. Uh, but like, if you have the the option to not screw it up in the first place, that seems better. <laughs> Picture the set that could be forthcoming called Pioneer Masters. Like Pioneer yeah. Masters. That's a really weird thing to put on the shelf for a modern also fan- felt a fantasy like a good game. Word. Yeah, I also liked the word modern but I don't like the word pioneer. Nope. When we got, here's the thing. We got, we heard the rumor circulating ahead of the news. As is not uncommon. And we warned our members immediately. Listen, there's all sorts of things here that could be incorrect information. And the top two that we flagged was the name pioneer sounds really unlikely. It could not, it could easily not be that. (laughs) And, the other one was uh, we expected that most of the cards that were banned in standard formats were going to be banned at, at the um, announcement. And it turned out that wasn't true at all, that they, they just decided to let the players play test the format, which I think is insane, actually, because setting up this pattern where there's going to think about what? all the fe- think about all the feel bads where people are going out, running out and buying Etherworks Marvel and whatever. And some of those things will end up not good enough. And some of those things will end up banned. And you have to land in the middle where your card is not playable in modern, but was banned in standard. And it's probably fine here. Like, I think the, the cards that come to mind for the, that particular segment is Smuggler's Copter and Reflector Mage. Neither of those are ever going to get banned in modern. They're probably not getting banned here. And one of the things that's interesting is that this format gets bigger pretty quickly. It's already pretty big. It's like 36 sets or something to go back to RTR, amazingly enough. Um, and, you know, in a couple more years, it'll be bigger than Modern was at its outset. So, actually, it, it might even be bigger than Modern was at its outset now, right? Um, I That I'm not sure about. They came out... I want to say it is, actually. I don't think... <sighs> I would have to go back and look. I don't have that. Something tells me it was I don't know where it a six years of sets or something. I have to go back and double check that. But it's I, I think they're at least equivalent, and it just gets bigger from here. So one of the things I think is funny about this format is that I don't think it's going to solve the problems of modern. What it does is it hits the reset button. Which is an important thing to do, and was the core thing we latched onto when we were theory crafting around this last year, and again this summer. Um, that it's not so much that modern has problems that are specific that need to be solved, like your Faithless lootings and your Mox Opals and whatever. Because I actually think this one's just going to end up with its own problems, because Wizards doesn't test enough. So they'll build new problems into their own format. Oko could be one of them. And it will end up just having just as many bannings as modern. But by hitting the reset button, 
you give the vendors a big shot in the arm. Like, think about how many millions of dollars were made over the last 48 hours as people rushed out to buy cards um, that had been languishing in bulk bins and whatever. And, okay. and it gives CFB a shot in the arm on GPs, and LGS is a shot in the arm on local events, because it's an exciting new format to test out. Okay. I, I want to rewind a little bit here. You don't like the way that they've unrolled Pioneer? No, they should have banned cards right off the start. I, I think that this is the best possible way to have rolled out a format. And here's why. If you had started Pioneer and said... So I understand banning the fetches at the outset was correct because you didn't... You're, clearly the goal was we're not having fetches in this format, so we're banning them, and that's non-negotiable, right? We know we're starting with this. But that's less of a power level feature or like like less of a this card is ruining the format and more about this is an identity of the format. Yes. So, but not, but if they had started with any other cards banned, then everyone would have said, why are we starting with this band? No one knows whether this is going to be good enough or not. Sure, it was good in standard, but who knows what this is going to look like in this format. We sure as hell don't. Wizards probably isn't going to know. There's no way they played enough of this format to know whether this card was too good or not. Uh, and, you know, what are they just going to import? every card that was banned in standard and a good example of this is you um brian gottlieb and jerry thompson were streaming yesterday talking about and i was listening and people were asking about aetherworks marble and they're like look aetherworks marble was crazy in standard but that standard had no answers to that artifact like there was very little you could do to interact with it that's not the case in this format so well that would be a really high high on the list candidate for getting banned in pioneer uh, that might not actually be necessary. Um, and if we had just started out with cards banned, people would have been really cranky. You know, people love to have cards come off the ban list. They don't like cards being banned. They would have been really cranky that we started with these cards banned. And now they play online only with gigantic warning signs that some of your cards might get banned and they, they probably will ban cards. So like, don't get too attached. Uh, and then that way, when it, something becomes degenerate, we all have the same information, right? We're all working from publicly information like, wow, Pioneer's been running for three weeks and Marvel's destroying everything. Okay, now it can go. Like, we've all agreed this is too good. Um, so at least there's no like, well, they started with a band and it didn't need to be banned. Why should it be banned? I think this is the perfect way to handle it. And the feel bads of I bought my Marvels and they got banned. At a certain point, it's like, what is Wizards supposed to do, right? If they said this is only online and in the announcement, they said like three times we're going to ban a bunch of shit. So like, don't get your hopes up. Uh, if you still went out and bought the cards that you knew had been banned in standard, ah, that's on you. That's on you. Hmm. Some of that I agree with. Um. I don't think it counters that there are going to be feel-bads. You, you can't expect everybody to even be familiar with what was banned or why. And forcing them to do a bunch of research on it is... And expecting them to not feel bad when they round out and buy Etherworks Marvels and then they get banned like in four to six weeks is... I think it's sloppy product design. I, I don't think they should have started with the standard bans necessarily. I thought that's what they would do, but I, I don't think they should have. Um, I think they should have tested the format to the extent that they knew what was ridiculous. So, for instance, if Dig Through Time, even without fetches, is still going to be your ultra-busted card, and you see that in your testing internally, then just put it on the ban list. 
There, there's no there's no point in dicking around with it if it's so obviously too good. I mean, do those, you those, do you dick, trust dick, the dick, Wizards dick. play design team? Well, I I trust them. Well, no. So, <laughs> but so, that, but, but that's exactly but that's, the point. That's because if they come back and said this is too good, a, but that's a different topic. That's you. You don't not try to do things correctly because your team isn't good enough. You improve the team so you can do things correctly. It's not, but in this case, it's not whether the team could have done it well or not. It's whether you, you as a consumer, would have trusted them anyways. Like well, if, if Wizards, if, 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 if the they opposite told me- had happened, if the opposite had happened, you would have been like, I don't think the Wizards play design team is good enough to va- to want to validate these bands. I, I you would have said that to me on this cast. No, if they had come up with a list of like six or seven band cards alongside the fetches, and it included Dick Through Time and Treasure Cruise, I think everybody would have said, "Well, obviously." Those cards were banned in every relevant format. Like we wouldn't have. It, I'm not saying people would be surprised, but people would be cranky. Now, They'd be like, I, "I don't know why this is why this is necessary at this juncture." Like, let us find this out. It it is interesting, specifically those two cards, because without fetches, they cost more mana. Yeah. So, uh, however, I mean, I was I was dicking around with a Sultai deck today that was like four Stitcher Supplier. Four Jace Finn's Prodigy and a couple of uh, Seder Wayfinder. I don't think I'm going to have any trouble getting five, six, seven lands in, in my graveyard. Uh, probably not. But again, how many times are you planning on casting Dig over the course of the game? I think that was part of what made it so good was you could do it multiple times. Uh, whereas now without fetches, you're not adding those three additional cards. It's, it is going to make casting the second one much tougher. You well, figure that's three cards on average per game. You're not getting into your graveyard. Okay, but in in, I would say that it makes dig and treasure cruise less ubiquitous because they can't just be thrown into any deck. For yep. instance, throwing them into you know dig through time as a two of in, in like blue white control probably still makes sense because the game is long enough. Um, but a lot of other decks that might have wanted to run them, like uh, low-slung Delver-style de- decks, may not be able to run Treasure Cruise to refuel in the mid-game because they just don't have enough stuff in the graveyard. Whereas, but I will say that like a Stitcher Supplier putting six cards in the yard is so much better at setting that up than fetches everywhere. Like In an average game with like Just Guy Black, you might have put three or four fetches in the yard total. Whereas Stitcher Supplier as a single black mana card deals with that all by itself. Well, Stitcher Supplier is insane. <laughs> like like that card, that card is really good. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if that's a fair comparison. Well, it's like it's, it's honestly, more like it's, I, it's more like it's really bad unless what you're trying to do is put six cards in your graveyard. Well, but no one's ever playing that card unless they're trying to put six cards in their graveyard. Sure. So uh, I, I, I will tell you this on my like list of like top 10 cards. I see like likelihood of getting banned. Stitcher Supplier is actually very high. That might make the top 10 because that is one hell of an enabler. Like Hedron Crab does that, but it requires you. Multiple steps. Yeah. Like it requires land drops to pull that off and they can kill it and you get <clears> zero <throat> effect if you play it on turn one. But Stitcher Supplier is when it comes in and when it dies, right? Yeah, and and Seder Wayfinder, for instance, by comparison, that was really solid and standard, only does it for four and costs one more. Yeah. So you're, so you're getting a better version of the effect at a lower casting cost with no other, where you don't have to do anything but help that thing die. 
I'm, I'm actually curious whether Stitcher Supplier goes into Rally the Ancestors decks. Because I, Rally gets to sack the Stitcher Supplier to Nantuko Husk and end up putting six extra cards in the yard and then rally them back. Oh, almost definitely. That's I mean, gross. I saw I saw someone brew a rally list and I'm like, hey, how do you get your card in your graveyard? You have no, maybe it was just a terrible list, but I'm like, you have no me- mechanic for this. Uh, clearly, you're going to need a place out of Stitcher Suppliers and a couple other similar effects well, JVP to shovel the cards sure. into your graveyard. Yeah, but that's nowhere near fast enough for what a Rally the Ancestors deck wants to do because the deck is essentially going to do nothing for three turns and then cast Rally for four mana for t- for X's two on turn four. So you definitely need... Like, you, you, yeah, it, in any case, Stitcher Supplier is probably the best at what it does in modern. So if any de- uh, graveyard decks get out of control in modern, that would be a good combo piece to ban, good enabler to ban. It's it's interesting because if you if I was making this argument a few days ago before I started trying to sell into this hype cycle, I was I would have said it's going to have a chilling effect. People are going to be scared to buy cards. <laughs> However... FOMO is a real thing, and people have been diving in to a very dangerous shark-infested water, whether they're players or speculators, and despite all our best warnings, have been making loose specs and loose personal purchases left, right, and center. This morning, okay, now hold on. Now you're getting now you're getting in the segment four here, man. Well, let, let me just say this, and we'll move on. I, I sold four foil Felidar Guardians that I bought last winter on potential modern hype with Sahili um, for three bucks a piece. And they'd just been sitting around because I didn't bother to buy list them and sold that playset. So that was 12 in less than a year ago. Sold it for 80 bucks this morning and buy list at CK is up to like 11 or something. I mean, ridiculous how much money is being made this week. Yeah, I mean, Aetherworks Marvel is like $9, right? And it was uh, $0.85 cents on Sunday evening. <laughs> or, I guess, two weeks ago before anyone knew. Um, but actually, you know what, James? I'm glad to be here, and I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat in Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Pioneer's Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. One of the other things I love about Cool Stuff, Travis, the more you buy with them, the more you get off. And you can actually build up to, I think it's level 9 with them, where you're getting... 12.5% or 15% off your singles purchases, and that is pretty sweet. Do you want to hear something funny? What's that? I placed, I think, four orders with three orders with CSI on Monday, and I did not remember to use our coupon code once. <laughs> <laughs> nice work. Yeah, that was uh, one of my shining, shining <laughs> moments there. I. Uh, I've been messing things up left, right, and center online because dodging all the taxes. As a Canadian trying to dodge U.S. taxes, I'm shipping my stuff to Oregon now um, before it gets put into a box and then shipped back to me. So fun times in e-commerce land. So you're going through all that that malarkey, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, saving, say uh, for every $1,000, you're saving 70 bucks and the shipping costs 15. Pretty pretty easy, no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. I guess if you're... 
if you have somebody in Oregon that can do that for you and you're not in a real rush, it's, it's totally fine. Yeah. Um, well, let me tell you about our show this week. It's four, in four parts. Four yeah. parts. Ah, that'll four be parts. Nice. It's like three and a half, really. All right. Uh, segment one. It's actually it's like four. It's like it's like four and a half. So no, it's still four, but the but it's three and two halves. The first half was segment point five, where we argued about where we talked about the pioneer name. Uh, the first real segment is Star Top Movers, where we'll talk about all the pioneer cards that jumped this week. Segment two is where James and I will talk about the pioneer cards we think might jump. Segment <laughs> 2.5 is Metagame Week in Review, which is Feel the Dead Got Banned. Nobody gives a shit about Standard this week. And then our third full segment is a topic of the week, which is, of course, Vintage Masters. Um, <laughs> so the first card of the week on our top movers list uh, is Oko, um, Thief of Crowns, from 36 or so, 35, 36, up to 64. Uh, and this got... This got it from a couple different angles. So we know Field of the Dead was banned in standard. We know that Field of the Dead was kind of running standard at the moment, but that Oko was clearly the, I'm going to say the most powerful card in a vacuum in standard, if, and I guess the second strongest strategy, but he was all <laughs> over standard, very powerful. Field of the Dead goes, now it's clear Oko is the best thing you can do in that format. And I had one of my friends message me today, and he's like, I played 20 matches on Arena yesterday, like without fail. The, if one person cast Oko and the other person didn't, the Oko player won. And if you're both playing Oko, the player who played it first won. It's like that did not change in 20 games. So Oko is definitely a big part in standard right now um, to the point where people are already talking about what's going to get banned in standard uh, because he's going to be so obnoxious. And then on top of that, he's been showing up in modern. And then on top of that, you have the pioneer announcement and people are like, wow, this card is making people's lives miserable in standard. It's breaking into modern. And there's no way this isn't good enough in, in, in pioneer. Um, you know, at the very least, he's going to be playable. So, you know, all that together has worked to push Oko up here up to like 65. Now I got to tell you, if a imprint mythic is $65 because I'm talking about the pack copies here I'm pretty sure like I actually did not look this up to be honest but 35 was definitely the price of this card the normal version of this card so I'm pretty sure this is the, the just a normal pack mythic 35 to 65 if you have a $65 mythic on standard you sell the damn card uh you know does it mean you know could Oko get better could the price go up absolutely how many times have you seen cards in standard be worth more than $65? The answer is like zero. Uh, Jace would have been like 75 or 80 in World Wake, but that's about it. Um, I'm looking at TCG player, the low, you can buy copies for like 52, 53, uh, which is still good enough for me to be selling here because this is, this is just dangerous ground to be on. Um, you know, it, it's so unlike like the, 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 Things that would have to go right for this card to be more than like $65 lead to him getting banned in at least one format and crashing the price. So just don't hang on too long. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm feeling particularly smart for having talked about Oko as a buy at 30 like three weeks ago. Uh, I did not know Pioneer was coming. Uh, or did I? I don't know. <laughs> but it was right for all the I wrong mean, reasons yet again. <laughs> Let's be let's be clear. We heard a rumor, but we were only a few days ahead of the curve. Um, people, other people in the market were out significantly sooner. 
The, yeah, well, um, the Withered's event reporter got the information like a week ago, right? Ooh, yeah. That was and, and, that was a and, long and that, time. That was the first hint, and then we chased the hint down, and and somebody said, "Yeah, that's a real thing." The so Oko. If you only have a personal playset and you're looking to play standard and pioneer and modern, then you don't have to worry about it too much. Um, if you are more on the on the player collector side than you are on the speculator side. You just hold your copies and they're going to be fine. Pioneer reinforces that. However, if... Well, fine for some period of time. It's not impossible that Oko is busted in Pioneer um, because it might be busted in Modern, so I guess we'll see. Um, but I think you'll, you'll get significant play wear out of them over the course of the next 12 months, even if it gets banned in Standard. Um, however, one of the plays you could try to make is to short Oko. So as it gets into this 60 to $70 range, which is one of the most expensive mythics and standard ever, I think the only one I can think of that was definitely higher in recent years was uh, JVP. Jace Vince Prodigy came out of a summer set, and people underestimated it at first. Oh, it's just a looter, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it turned out it was ridiculously busted, and it was a, a important four of and standard right away, um, and was doing some things in modern and legacy at the time as well. So it, I think it crested $100 at one point, um, and a bunch of money was made. It might have been like a weekend that it did that or something like that. Yeah. So that's the only thing I can think of that's been at that level. Oko could be in the same kind of boat, but it's not a Somerset mythic. It's a fall mythic. So there is the, yeah. you know, dealers will crack boxes to chase these. Um, but People are still drafting it. Yeah. But the extended art and extended art foils are probably going to keep cranking up. Now, the ROI on those is going to fall further and further as they get, as the price gets higher and higher, because as you get up that price curve, you know, the extended art foils are headed for 200, which I called on Twitter like 10 days, 7, 10 days ago or something. Uh, yeah, 10 days. I think it was like a week ago, Friday. Um, I said, Friday night advice. This is 100 bucks and it's going to be 200. Go buy some. And sure enough, it's just about there. I think the extended art foils are like down at three or four listings around 160 or something on TCG. Um, yeah, and there's no point. I, of, there's just no point of resupply there. Like we are past peak supply on extended arts, and yes, the holiday gift bundles at big box stores are going to have one collector booster per, and I expect those to be popular because of it. But they're also fifty dollar boxes, so it's not like it's a cheap way to get those packs. And what we're seeing is that because those packs aren't opened on GP floors at major events, they're filtering into the community one pack at a time out at retail the big vendors are having a real hard time restocking because nobody's selling them to buy less um, and we'll talk about how that there, what a steep uh, a significant contrast there is between that scenario and what we're going to see with the mystery boosters when we get to segment four um, but my point is this o oko's one of the plays if you want to get cheeky about it would be if you think it's going to get banned at standard you sell at a peak, especially if you're not playing with them. This is definitely the move. And then you look to repurchase them when they drop off, when a bunch of standard players dump them into the market on a ban, on a ban announcement, at which point they would probably come down to like 25, 30, 35, something like that. And then you're buying them to for Pioneer and Modern and, and Commander. Yeah, I, I think I agree with, with pretty much all that. Um, yeah. But that's that's a lot of words about Oko at this point. Uh, 
following that is Questing Beast, also out of Throne, um, 20 to 38 for just about a double up, also on the back of standard play. Had a pretty good weekend. Uh, Grawl Mythic won the whole event. Questing Beast was... Uh, a four of. Yeah, four of. So um, not too surprising to see him move. Uh, and those are... We have one other card here uh, out of standard, which is our Boreal Grazer. Uh, War of the Spark Foil, two bucks and change for those foils up to about 556. Again, because he was showed up in um, the standard this weekend. But that's it. Everything else this week is all Pioneer. And, and Grazer was related to cars. Golos, right? So that's a... Hopefully people are already out on those foils if they had any of them lying around. I I have to imagine it was based on Golos, yeah. Questing Beast is a card I don't own any of because it was spotted so early that the price jumped high and then got higher and never really saw a good entry point, so I haven't touched it. Yeah, same. Um, Sahili Rai, okay, one of our other major... Yum, yum, yum. Yeah, big ones here. Uh, Kaladash, 8 and change, up to about 18 for a little over a double up. Also based on Pioneer, also one of the, like, yellow alert possible ban targets. Sahili Rai, of course, is part of the copycat combo from uh, the Kaladesh Days of Standard, which has what might be one of my favorite moments in Magic's history, where on Monday the ban list update comes out. They say nothing from the Sahili copycat deck is banned. Uh, a bunch of players go, well, it's not banned. I'm going to go buy my Sahili Rise at like 40 bucks a piece. And then two days later, Wizards goes, eh, you all got really angry. So, you know, what? we will ban it. And just <laughs> hammered everyone who was prudent and waited till Monday. <laughs> just top-notch Terrible. PR. Terrible. But in any case, Copycat is sounding like, you know, of course, no one's really got any games yet. This is pretty much all just conjecture. But Copycat is sounding like it might be one of the best things in the format. What's so powerful about this is you can just stick Sahili Rai and Felidar Guardian in any deck, essentially. Um, and then have your deck that also has a Copycat combo, which is pretty brutal. Um, well, the, the key here is that this is one of the decks. Here, here's, the, here's the thing about Pioneer. People that are talking about it as standard plus instead of modern minus have got it wrong. There's enough sets in this format that it's a lot more like modern than it is like standard. And a lot of the decks that were good in standard may not be good enough here. Some of them are going to have interesting new pieces of the puzzle. And will people will be able to come at those decks from fresh angles that may have been overlooked even in modern. Like, I think it's possible that Pioneer could, could discover decks that might be feasible in modern. Um, there might be Pioneer decks that evolve. And then later when other cards are printed, the deck becomes good in both Pioneer and modern which is a very nice place for the finance community to be in because then you end up having, uh, you know, what we're always looking for up until the Pioneer announcement this year was a card that was good in Modern and Commander. That was kind of like the default standard. If your card is good in both those formats, it's probably a pretty safe bet. You know, if it's a, if it's a Mythic and it's Foil, all the better. Now we're in a whole new era where Foils are at an extreme drop rate. So really you're looking for non-Foil Mythics that are good in a bunch of formats. And if it's good, if it's something like Oko, where it's good in Pioneer, and standard and modern and legacy and commander, you're probably in a pretty good spot, which explains why that card is at seventy bucks. Yeah, that is a that is a nuts formula for that card, and it's I you know I do think that we probably won't see that again for a don't long see, time. Yeah, you don't see it very often. The no, that's the, it's a rare one. So the thing point I was making in that roundabout fashion was that Sahili Rai Felidar Guardian is more or less intact coming from modern because the the 
um, theorize, like the theory crafting version of the list is four Gilded Goose, two Elvish Mystic, four Heart of Kirin, two Paradise Druid, four Felidar Guardian, four Teferi Time Raveler, four Once Upon a Time, four Oath of Nyssa, three Metallic Rebuke, four Sahili Rai, and four Oko Three of Crowns. About 60% of that list is exactly how you would play it in modern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's it, the power level's there, and this is why everyone thinks it's going to get banned. Why it's why that's so likely, just because it's it's already very good. You have all the good cards essentially, um, and it's so flexible. You know that's always a big part of what sets combos from like a solid combo deck to starts to warp the format. Is where can I put this? Ad nauseum is a combo deck that isn't portable. Um, you know, it requires your entire deck to play that combo. Whereas like Splinter Twin was like, eh, just take these eight cards and put them anywhere and you have a deck, which, you know, there was usually a best Splinter Twin deck, but it didn't change the fact that you could put it anywhere and do some funny stuff with it. I mean, I played, uh, you know, there's all sorts of goofy stuff you could do with it. And I think that helped leads to it, to it being busted. And that's what we're going to see possibly with Sahili Rai. Um, and that is actually, I think probably my number two guess for most likely to get banned not Sahili Rai, Felidar Guardian well right, one half of the combo it would be Felidar Guardian the The one problem being if they ever print another card with a similar text to Felidar Guardian they're right back in the same boat which they so, shouldn't because that effect has never been not busted right, I mean they should have a giant red light that goes off in the wizard's headquarters whenever somebody writes a card that starts with whenever and then has an if clause in it like if that those two words are printed together on a card, everybody better stop and take a damn close look. It's like an amber alert for all the phones in the wizard's headquarters. Um, but yeah, yeah. So next on the list, we got Jace Friend's Prodigy, um, the aforementioned mega standard staple, going from about it says twenty to forty five here, but I think it was actually there was copies lying around at fifteen that I snapped up on the weekend. Um, the assumption here is that mid-range and control brews and brews that want to get things in the graveyard, specifically versions of those kinds of decks that exist maybe after all the combo decks get banned out of existence, are going to make good use of JVP, who is just sort of not quite good enough for modern, but might be able to survive in Pioneer for a few years before the format gets back to that existing modern power level. I, I do think this is... A, on that topic, it is going to be weird. Like, obviously, they're trying to replace Modern with Pioneer, and the way that they have done that that we saw in the past, when the, you know, five years ago, the last time this went down, when you people were screaming at us that we were wrong about Legacy, what we used to prove our point at that point, that Modern was intended to replace Legacy on the competitive circuit, was how they allocated tournaments. There was suddenly very few legacy tournaments and at a certain point um star city games was running a ton of legacy and they switched most of those tournaments to modern and that was kind of the death knell for legacy as a major competitive format that relegated it to side tournaments for the most part um and i think the the first year we saw that go down i think there was no pro tours with legacy and there was one gp or something on each continent one in japan one in uh, europe and one in north america and we're seeing a similar thing with the setup for the GPs for next year. Um, 2020 is clearly set up to be the year where they test Pioneer against Modern, and they look at the results, and then they'll make a call um, on which one they should support. If nobody shows up to the Pioneer events throughout 2020, 
and people are still showing up in significant numbers to modern, then Pioneer would, you know, maybe would go the way of the dinosaur. But I suspect what will happen is that both will be relatively popular, and that's going to lead to a very weird position for 2021, where you have, they will actually merge after a certain period of time. If you go out, say, let's say that you kept modern, you kept Pioneer, but you go out 10 years. Well, then, yes, of course, there's going to be some decks in modern that don't exist in Pioneer, because you have cards like Ancient Stirrings and Mox Opal and so forth that define and Tron pieces that define decks that are never going to be in Pioneer. But eventually there'll be enough power in the Pioneer format that say 70% of modern would just be the same decks as you play in Pioneer. Uh, yeah. So there's definitely, so I, let me think for, let me collect my thoughts here. I don't think there's any chance that Pioneer at this point fails. Like the reaction to it has been so strong and it's such a good replacement for what modern is right now that I think Pioneer is going to take off hard. Um, Wizards is putting in the work necessary to make sure this format or is putting the pieces into place to make sure this succeeds in a way they didn't with like historic and brawl and all that other stuff. Uh you're absolutely right that those decks would get very, very similar and you would have crossovers where like, you know, there could be a deck that's really great in modern that doesn't happen to use any mo- quote modern exclusive cards, you know, as unlikely as that seems uh, that you could also play in pioneer. And what's really funny is you'll have a deck that's legal in both formats. All 75 cards are legal in both formats, but it only gets played in Modern rather than Pioneer because in Modern, it's better against the metagame than it is in Pioneer. That could happen. Um, But I think they're going to try and run these concurrently for, what, two years? Yeah. At best? At best. I really see them sunsetting Modern pretty fast because Pioneer is going to take off and those formats are going to start to look too similar. People aren't going to be playing Modern events. Uh, and, you know, when you had the Modern Legacy situation, it was a little different because at least Legacy very much had its own identity. Like the decks were not anywhere close to similar, but that's not the case this time, um, which is going to be kind of a weird situation. We haven't really encountered that before. Well, and we only know the formats for the Magic Fest for the first like quarter of the year or whatever. And so far there are four uh, Pioneer GPs and three Modern. So right out of the gate. They are daring players to give up on modern. They're saying, yeah, we're not cutting it off of the knees. You can still play your Modern Horizons cards this year. But we'd rather you play Pioneer, and this is how we're going to represent that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we'll talk, talk more about strategies for um, addressing that in segment four. As we move along here, mystical dispute from Throne of Eldrain, uh, foils going from $1.50 to $4. Unlikely that people have been stockpiling these. This is just good anti-Teferi Oko tech in standard because it's like a one-mana counter spell if you're countering a blue spell. Um, Arboreal Grazer we touched on before. Torrential Gearhulk was uh, a card people assumed will be good in Pioneer that I don't actually think is going to get there. It apparently jumped from 3 to 9 for like a triple up. Buy lists are probably not going to cooperate there, I don't think. So I hope you are selling playsets uh, into the hype cycle. I, I think Torrential Gearhulk is too slow for this format. And I think if, if it's anything, it's a 1 or a 2 of in blue-white or Jeskai control list, maybe Esper control. Um, but it's just, it's just not as good as people think it is. 
Uh, yeah, I'm on the same page on that one. I don't think that, you know, uh, basically the same thing. One or two of, but not a, not a format staple. and Certainly not worth spending that type of money on. At what point this weekend, I did have four Masterpiece Torrential Gear Hulks in my cart at about $38 a piece. And I just didn't hit the button. Because um, yeah. I, I couldn't fathom a version of the format that even if it was okay up front, give the format six months to evolve, let it go through a pro tour and a couple of GPs. And a lot of that, you know, this was good in standard. Maybe it's good here is going to get checked by reality and we'll just fall off the agenda completely again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, all right. So moving on, we have Ember Cleave, which uh, was a two of in the winning uh, arena pro tour event this weekend. Uh, Javier Dominguez, who was world champion last year, Got himself the first invitational card, uh, Fervent Champion, representing him running around on a horse with a lightsaber. Goes ahead and wins a pro tour right after. How do you like that one? Pretty good, uh, pretty good year to be Javier Dominguez. That's for sure. Well, I mean, he, uh-huh. w- this has got to be the f- that might be the highest prize purse any pro Magic player has ever gotten within a year, right? World Championship uh, well, was after prob- the changes to the prize purses, possibly, yeah. Well, I mean, World Championship, I got to go back and double check, but it was probably worth a hundred thousand. I know they've been cranking up every year, like pretty substantially. Uh, so yeah, I would assume that he probably does have the highest purse in any calendar year. Because this one was a hundred thousand, so if the other one was at least a hundred, he's made two hundred thousand dollars a year minimum playing Magic. That's certainly. More than pretty much anyone else. It's hard to imagine somebody may have having made more than that. And it's it's interesting to consider whether that narrowing of the pro players. You know, we talked about this before, but when they shrunk the number of pro players they were going to support by changing the structure of the pro tours, um, one of the things we said was, well, maybe it doesn't really matter if there's 400 players to the average player. Maybe they just need 30 or 40 players to follow and believe in. And then the result of that is by hyper-focusing on those people, they're going to make more money per. And maybe the draw of, hey, Javier, Javier made so much money, maybe I could do that, is just as good, if not better, than the you know, play the game, see the world thing. We're not quite there, not quite at the point where we can make that call yet, but I'm at least considering you know, whether that, that strategy is paying off. Gross gross um all right so we also have smuggler's copter big riser this week two dollars to nine or ten dollars on the back of it being really good and uh, potentially good in pioneer i actually think this is a card that will start solid not get banned i don't think it's bannable in this format um but eventually get outpaced by the format as it grows uh i i mean i suppose that's possible but he's definitely copter is definitely coming in looking pretty good um, I know a lot of people, a lot of pros are are recognizing that are putting it into decks, recognizing that it's going to be a very useful tool. So it might eventually get you know kind of outclassed, but I think it'll it could take years. It could take years before that happens. So I think this is actually a decent pickup in a vacuum for people that heard the news this week, but give you some reasons in segment four as to why it might not be. Um, then we've got Deathrite Shaman, which I think is actually in a very similar boat. Deathrite uh, busted when you've got fetch lands, probably not busted when you don't. 
And it's that's a that's a nice one. for magic players that are you know play legacy or have been sitting on uh play sets of DR, DRS that were just kind of invalidated by being banned out of modern. Um it it's a nice side effect of this format launching that you get a chance to put these back, you know, get take these off the bench and put them back into play. Um, whether or not it's good enough seems to be up for debate. So I think it's in in many ways like Smuggler's Copter. This might be a card that's around for a while, maybe gets, you know, outclassed over a period of time, or just ends up being really good in the graveyard-centric decks and not good anywhere else. I think that Deathrite Shaman is going to be significantly worse here than he was in... Uh modern a big part of that is not being able to turn one death right and already have at least one fetch land in your graveyard and depending on your turn one and two and your opponent's turn one or two you could have three fetches at the start um it's gonna be much harder to turn them on now because if you death right on turn one and you have no fetches now on turn two you have to play a card that puts cards into your graveyard to turn them on. It's just a little bit more work that now he will still be quite good, but he won't be like an auto include in every deck that makes green or black mana. And so good that decks that don't make green or black mana want to start doing that. Um, I think that there's, it's just enough of a change, but I do think he's going to be a pretty significant part of the format. Um, It's hard to imagine him not being good enough uh, but there's also a lot of copies of Death Rate Shaman out there. A lot of players probably still own them, uh, which means a lot of people don't have to go buy them, right? So, you know, if we talk about something like Smuggler's Copter, most players don't have that card, but a lot of players ha- have Death Rate Shaman already. Um, so I'm, I'm less excited about Death Rates here than some of our other choices. Dig Through Time, pretty much in the same boat. Nobody knows how good it is. I suspect it's quite good in certain decks, again, similar to Deathrite. Um, being able to go through seven cards of your deck and pick two cards out. <laughs> if you've never cast this card, it's uh, it's impressive when you pull it off. Um, I think the key thing here is you might not be running four copies because without fetches in your yard, you're, um, you know, as, as we said before, you, you pro- can't as reliably continuously cast uh, this card. So I would suspect that you're running less copies and then fewer decks than what we saw when it was doing crazy things in modern, um, when Delver was running Dig Through Times and Treasure Cruises. <laughs> the, yeah, the the fact that you don't get to play fetches anymore means that this card is is handicapped. Not it's not the pro, it's probably like I said it's probably not the first one that suffers as much. It's the second one. So I see this going to uh, going to like a two of or maybe a three of. Um, but it's also going to be the other thing was fetches meant that decks that weren't otherwise focusing on putting cards into their graveyard were still filling it enough to cast dig through time. And now without the fetches, you don't have that sort of in- incidental buildup of your graveyard. So if you're not playing a deck that goes out of its way to add cards to the graveyard, you might only be putting four cards in there by turn five, right? That's, that's possible which means that it's just going to end up being way too slow. So another card that will probably be quite good, but not at the extent that people think they're going to be. Um, Fetches really did a lot in, you know, to change the way that modern played. And I think that Pioneer is going to be interesting to see how it develops as people go, oh, wow, Fetches have a huge impact on the board across the game. 
So the other card uh, made a big move, Foils of Cavalcade of Calamity at a Ravnica Allegiance, going from $1.25 to $9. Uh, I believe this is on the back of the aggro decks in the format, needing Cavalcade um, to bust through on Oko and so forth. Yeah, I, I suppose so. That seems reasonable enough to me. Because the whole thing here is when a creature you control <laughs> with power one or less attacks... Not when it deals damage. It deals one damage to that player or planeswalker that creature is attacking. So even if you're blocking, you're getting... Even if they're blocking with something, you're getting damage in on Oko. Yeah. That seems like the best read here. Uh, it is That is a very powerful effect. That was excellent on... Oh, what the hell is that card? Oh, the red one from like Scars of Mirrodin or Mirrodin Besieged. That would your creatures dealt damage when they attacked even before they hit the player. It's a powerful effect, so it, it, it's good at shooting down planeswalkers. That's for sure. Um, and this is finishing this is out get, the week. That just a second. They, that card is getting played in decks alongside Torbrand, Thane of Redfell, which says whenever you a red source deals damage, you deal two more. Yeah. <laughs> in which case, cavalcade cavalcade is lightning bolting, casting lightning yeah, bolts for each attacker. And yeah, I, that it's fair that anyone who's playing Thorban is going to be in EDH is going to be looking for um, repeatable small damage incidences, incident incidences, and this card does that very well. Especially if you attack with an army of ten tokens, now you get to do with Thorban like thirty damage <laughs> to somebody. Um, that's a fun way to make that player commander good. Uh, if finishing off the week, Aetherworks Marvel out of Kaladesh, every, well, I say every copy, but Marvel's only the one copy. Uh, foils and non-foils. Non-foils, a dollar and change to over $10. So, I don't know, the low price, I think, is like 9 or nine fifty or something like that right now. But definitely a perceived powerhouse in the format. People remember playing against Marvel and Standard and how insane that card was. Um We'll get there in Pioneer. We don't know yet. Uh, but it definitely is starting out a fan favorite or opposite of fan favorite to begin with. And can I tell you the card that's not on this list that I am surprised by? Go for and it. the card that I think is like top two for most likely to get banned? Emrakul the Promise End. Uh, that card... Like, that card is really powerful. And the fact that you don't have fetches isn't a problem. Because he's delirium. Like, he's basically delirium. It reduces the cost for each card type. But you only need to get one land in your graveyard. That's not going to be that hard to get one land. Uh, this And not only is just casting Emrakul very viable. You know, you can get four card types in your graveyard pretty easily four or five cards. Uh, he's also the best thing to cheat. So like in modern, you would Nahiri Harbin, Nahiri, um, Emrakul and Torn into play. Well, now you get to Nahiri, this one into play who you bounce your hand at the end of the turn. So you get to cast him again the next turn. Uh, you can, you also get to cast him off of Marvel. So if you spin Marvel and hit Emrakul, you cast him, which means you get the extra turn trigger. Like, Emrakul is 
and also if you're playing a control deck like it, it's it's a phenomenal curve topper i would just be surprised to not see emrakul sort of be like the top end for anything that has essentially a top end i definitely bought some emrakuls um because as we're gonna talk about in segment four i thought that mythics were safer than rares heading into what's about to happen and emrakuls were around like you get them 16 18 20 depending on where you were grabbing them and the ramp is really steep on tcg right now like it's up 20 or 30 percent this week it just hasn't people haven't closed the loop like they have on some of these other more obvious cards um i think the lowest price on tcg right now is 24 and it gets up towards 30 and 40 pretty quick um yeah like total total number of non-foil copies you only got 26 listings left on tcg so this could hollow out and go north of 40 it's pretty i think it's would be reasonable to be on our list of specs this week to call this to go say 22 to 40 oh i was looking at it and i was very close to picking it this week i ultimately decided not to because the price is already like 23 or 24 and i'm hesitant about walking people into bands so i didn't want to like you know nail anybody but i do think that that card is is busted yep. it's really good i agree really good. I, did, I didn't go super deep but i think i picked up six or six or seven copies the um all right let's get into our cards to watch the things we do think are going to make uh make moves it's it was almost like there were too many options um but you got to run them well, through. You got to run them through the filters of segment four, and the fact that a lot of this stuff took off so fast, um, it went down in between casts, and we never got a chance to to pick it out. This week's picks are actually quite challenging for a couple of reasons. The first is obviously everyone wants to hear us talk about Pioneer. I really like EDH cards. They tend to be reliable. Um, we know how they work. They're very solid. But I, you all want Pioneer picks, so I have to talk about Pioneer. So now I have to talk about cards for a for format that essentially doesn't exist yet. I have to pick cards that haven't already spiked. Uh, I have to pick cards that I don't think are going to get reprinted in these mystery packs, or at least have reduced chance of getting reprinted in mystery packs. Well, also and also being like are obvious enough that I can tell that they're good in the format, like that I can back up as a reason to want to own. This is uh, this is actually kind of challenging, I think, as far as picks of the week go, because there's so many cards that you want to talk about. But as a content creator and like a guy who's kind of responsible for what comes out of my mouth, I have to be kind of careful about what I tell all of you. This is a tough week. Yeah. All right. So let's get, get into an example. Um, in Frontier, which has been going strong, well, has been going okay in Japan ever since it was first a thing. Um, whereas most of the rest of the world abandoned it. There was a pretty strong frontier scene in Toronto for about a year and a half, and then it kind of trailed off. Um, worth taking a look at some of those frontier decks, because though they had a smaller card pool than was eventually announced for Pioneer, and they had access to Fetchlands, um, they, some of those decks are very similar to what we're going to see in Pioneer. One of them is the you know Red Deck Wins version. Red Deck Wins was a very strong standard contender for the last many of the seasons of the last five years. And when you get to put all the best of those red cards all on the same deck, you're going to have a deck that probably sets a clock in the format, especially once combo is hated out of the format by bands. Um, so Ramen Up Ruins was sitting around at like 25 to 50 cents. 
um, heading into this announcement. And if your local gaming store still has some sitting around in a binder or in a, you've got them in a bulk box or whatever, I think you pull these um, or pick some up. I, I was snapping them up around, like I said, 25 cents, but even up to 50, I think is okay because I have a feeling Ramen Up Ruins uh, gets up to about a dollar on buy lists uh, relatively shortly here. And the only counter I have to that is that it might catch a reprint shortly, as we'll talk about in segment four. Well, I'm uh, I, I'm of two minds on this. Um, and, you know, I'm speaking not so much to you, but to some of the commentary I saw on our Discord, on Twitter too, for that matter. Uh, Red has historically been a budget deck in virtually every format that it shows up in. Um, there's a certain subset of players that play it, even when it's a best deck in the format. It doesn't mean that a lot of people are rushing to play it because some people just don't find it fun. Um, it tends to be built on commons and uncommons. The rares and mythics typically aren't that useful in other decks, right? Eidolon and the Great Revels is an insane card and burn, but like no one else is playing that card. Um, so I don't typically love specking on burn cards unless they are sort of flexible, like a Tarkus command. However, there's certainly room for the deck to, to be good. Obviously, in fact, I think it's going to be insane at the start. Uh, and cards that look to play a major role in that deck could grow in buy lists at least very well. I don't want to try and sit around and sell play sets of this stuff. But if you're if you're getting in on a ramen up ruins at you know twenty five to fifty cents, expecting to buy list them at a dollar to two dollars, I think that's great. I think you're you know that's that's a good place to be because those are you're likely to get to get paid on those because the card will be popular in red i just don't want anyone thinking they should really be specking on red cards in general because that is a dangerous game to play but they have to be very cheap um and the a lot of players that played these decks in standard may just already have these lying around but they may also have just buy listed them away um mm-hmm. this this got up, lost them this got up to a few bucks when it was a big deal in standard um and it's a shoe in to be a four of in the red decks because it gives uh land-based damage that can't be dealt with by leyline of sanctity that just got reprinted in core 2020 um so it's it's a very important portion of the red deck because it gives reach and it's always a four of so from that perspective, it's just about how cheap can you get copies? Like, would I say buy them at a dollar to try to buy this at two? I'm way less excited about that. I picked up mine at a quarter. So the I'm already doing fine because Card Kingdom's buy list is 31 cents credit. So that's that's my backup plan um, if I need one. Which is fine, which is absolutely fine. I think it's I think it's a good choice. I just, you know, I wanted to make sure people knew what they were. <laughs> like, don't get too far ahead of yourselves here, guys. And I'm speaking more to our listeners than i am you okay um what's your first pick this week so uh like i said i kind of ran through what i was thinking so one of the cards that popped out to me as it's quarter calling um the m15 copies are around five dollars or so right now the ravnica copies the original ravnica copies are like 11 or 12 so we know that there's room to support a price tag in the double digits quarter calling is going to be uh, one of the, you know, one of the premier creature fetching tools. You still have the big three. Court of, uh, collective companies, obviously legal. You have Court of Calling and you also have Finale of Devastation. 
Finale of Devastation is also worth talking about, but Chord has typically still been showing up more frequently than Finale has been in a lot of the Creature Toolbox decks. Um, I don't see it getting banned. It's very unlikely to be that good. And it will support any sort of nonsense you want to do with creature combos or mid-range creature strategies. Um, so this and all of these cards run the risk of getting hit by, by reprints. I think the price is low enough and it might not be close enough to the forefront of the format that you might fade it. And if you do miss the reprint, I think this has a pretty good shot based on its play pattern, likely play patterns to climb up to 12, even $15 um, based on Pioneer. So you can definitely get copies in the market around $5. They are not, the inventory is not super deep. And Card Kingdom, for instance, their buy list on 2015 copies is at 585 credit. So you can actually arbitrage copies as of the recording of this cast from TCG and other locations um, over to Card Kingdom and make it like a dollar a copy. So it's <laughs> super rock solid. Um, the other thing is that Cord and Coco both kind of got knocked off the agenda in modern in the face of super busted ban- uh, decks that eventually got banned out of the format like KCI and... Paradox Go, Urza, and Hogak. When, whenever a deck like that is doing really well, um, the fair green decks never really seem to make much of a splash. But they've also never really gone away. And there are Devoted Druid, Vizier Remedies combo decks still going strong in modern that are getting played. You know, if you show up at any random FNM, the top eight probably has a chance of including one of those. And they tend to run a mix of the Coco Court of Calling and the new one, Finale of Devastation. Now I've been on finale. I've called finale previously on this cast um, ahead of the other two because it's a mythic, and it's from War of the Spark, which is one of the last sets that didn't have the new foil drop rates and so forth, um, and was overshadowed by a lot of the good planeswalkers in that set. Not necessarily on everybody's radar. You have to assume that all three spells are going to see play uh, in Pioneer, especially once some of the bannings go down. Um, and it's probably not going to take that long for bannings because Wizards basically said when they announced Pioneer this week that they're going to ban whenever, like on and off cycle. So they're going to they're going to take a look at early results in Magic Online, and if certain decks are just absolutely crushing the field, they'll just go ahead and say, "Yep, see, Etherworks Marvels bannable, gone. Dig through time, gone. Moving right along." And th- there's going to be a bunch of resets. And the nice thing about that from an MGG Finance perspective is we're going to get make, get to make money on this format in waves like four or five times in the next six months. Yeah, that is going to be wild is how much this is going to change so many times, right? You're like, well, right now it's all about Aetherworks and, you know, Dig Through Times and, and all that good stuff. And then like you might be able to unload a good most to all of this and then like uh, you know, the Wizards goes, okay, we've reviewed the last month of player data. We're banning six cards. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. So I got rid of all my stuff and now I get to do all this again with the new slate of cards that are good that were kind of under the surface in Pioneer that we've been keeping an eye on, but we're getting suppressed. Oh, we get to go in again. That That's uh, that's exciting. That is exciting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Turmoil is what drives the engine here, and we're certainly going yeah. to see it. So I like your pick. I think Court of Calling is rock solid. Whether the fact that it can be played in Commander and Modern and Pioneer, 
gives it now three formats of viability. And, you know, we'll talk about why it's just as risky as Ruins in a second. Um, but I'm going to jump ahead to one of my picks that I think is related. So one of my picks this week is Leyline of Abundance. This is the lay, the green Leyline out of Core 2020 that's been largely ignored. This is the one that um, uh, lets your creatures that tap for mana tap for uh, an extra green when they tap. Oh, yeah. So... This is a format that has four Llanowar Elves, four Mis- uh, uh, Elvish Mystic, and four Gilded Goose now. So you can run a deck that has all 12 of those, and on turn two, you can be tapping for like three or four mana. And then mm-hmm. Court of Calling and Coco or Finite Finale Devastation or whatever. And th- there's also a chance that it's part of a mono green Devotion Shell. And we're heading back to Theros, where we are inevitably going to get more devotion-y stuff. And we've already got... Uh, Ross Miriam was running green devotion, and it was looking pretty good. Um, and obviously, anything and everything is possible on day one of a format. Um, but I would not be surprised to see a, a decent devotion deck last for a couple of years in this format, and then maybe get... Um, you know, go through a period of obsolescence as the format matures. Um, but they have, you know, we have uh, Nykthos Shrine uh, to Nyx, which you're going to talk about in a second, um, alongside Leyline of Abundance um, and a bunch of mana dorks. And that just seems like somebody's going to try to make that deck work. Well, Leyline of Abundance is a very powerful card that kind of snuck in in that spoiler season. And it wasn't until somebody kind of called my attention to it that I doubled back and looked again. I was like, oh, yeah, actually, that is pretty wild. Um that your elves like in modern you go through the work of play arbor elf on turn one then turn two play another land put a utopia sprawl on the first land now you can do you know all this malarkey with arbor elf and it's like yeah that's awesome but it uses up a bunch of slots and it's very vulnerable whereas this is just like well hmm. and when you say vulnerable let's be clear you're saying i'm in a format with path bolt and fatal push and the fetches to make sure that push is is good Whereas in this format, you still have push, but you don't have fetches to power it, and you don't have path or bolt. Yeah, and you're not committing multiple resources to trying to make this combo work like, in, the, in the way that you are with uh, Arbor Elf builds. This is just like, yeah, now all of my mana dorks tap for two, which is a lot of damn mana. And anyone that's ever played it, like it's a leveled up Draga Tree Speaker in Cube knows the deal. Because that turn four play in this format could be something like Questing Beast, it could be Pelucranos, it could be any number of different things. And you could either be building up on into a creature combo, or you could be just going big. You know, maybe maybe you're casting an Emrakul or something. So and they, and you've got Castle Garen break now as well, um, which uh, starts to make uh, function as an Eldrazi temple once you get to a certain number of lands. So. Go big, green, yeah, you can, go big green decks could be there. You can start with Leyline of Abundance in play. Turn one, Blooming Sanctum, play like Land of War. Turn two, you now have two lands and your elf that taps for two. So you can play Kiora. And then there's a Kiora that isn't untaps land and a creature. Isn't that how that card works? Uh, Kiora. Untap one target creature and one target land. So you can play Kiora on turn two untap your elf and your land to go back up to three mana <laughs> and then cast and, cast. The, and, and the three could be nissa vastwood seer go get a forest 
Yeah, or it could be Oko or Teferi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, all of these That's are options. not a bad uh, play probably, <laughs> probably Oko, because you're green-blue. Uh, but, I mean, now... So, now you're ending turn two with Llanowar Elves and Kiora and Oko in play. Like... <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Ley Line's still there. So, you're... The, yeah. Every time you, you draw another Elf or Gilded Goose, it's no longer necessarily such a dead draw, because it's still ramping you hard. Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of potency there. And, 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 I like and, oh, and you know what's nice about Oko is that he can turn those one ones into three threes in the mid game. Yes, yeah, yeah, that too. You know, he shuts off their ability to make mana, but he does turn them into three threes, and turn, which makes them viable threats. Which is another and, advantage of him is that not only can he neuter all of your opponent's good creatures, he can level up your crummy ones, but he can also swap elves for and food tokens for their creatures. Because that's his other ability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's also a rude thing to do to people. Yes. So I, I, I think that all of this kind of goes together as potentially viable stuff. And the, the key point with Leyline in Abundance is it's a dollar or less. You can get them for 75 cents some places. So I picked up 20 or 30 of them because I, at some point in the future of Pioneer, I expect Leyline Abundance to be viable. And it's only going to take one like big moment on camera for it to hit three or four dollars and buy list to climb to two twenty five or something, and it'll be a solid out. Yeah, um, and I guess to pair with this, I've got like a, like James said, Nykthos, um, out of Theros. It's about eleven ish dollars right now. I checked the price history, and it has both I checked the price history on both Cord and Nykthos, and neither of them have reacted to the Pioneer news yet, which is good. That means these prices are not like post Pioneer spike. These are still at the price they were before the format was announced um but yeah you're looking at about 11 bucks or so for nykthos right now uh i like it up to probably 25 dollars or so um but maybe even 30 depending on how good how well things go you know 20 probably the floor but it's in first of all it's in 32,000 edh rec decks right and it's not going to stop being good in edh just because you know pioneer does or doesn't do well so you have that demand profile sort of setting your floor then on top of that you have the fact that it's now a going to be a much more not only is it still very potent in pioneer but you've broken apart the like go-to mana base of fetches and shocks which has kind of done a lot to sort of define the way that decks get built um there was very little incentive to play monocolor decks in modern because the mono was so good and now with it being it's going to be a lot harder to play three color decks um you'll still be able to do it but it will cost you more to do it and some three color combinations will be worse than others right now we only have the enemy fast lands which means that your cons wedges your or your cons wedges like um teamer and mardu are easier to build because you get two fast lands whereas your shards which is back um you know the alara block jun are worse yeah because you only get one so the mana bases are a little weirder which means there's more room to play single color decks i think because there's so much it's so much less painful than it was before um you also are walking into a new theros right in in the winter we get another Theros set, which is very likely to pay off devotion themes because we've already seen all the plants in the Cavaliers and those uh, Throne of Aldrain uncommons that are so many pips. So I think you've got a lot of various factors here that all build up to a pretty tempting package. Yeah, 
I actually think, side note, I think that Ikoria is our first shot at the Allied Fastlands. And I think Allied Fastlands will appear within the year because they're they're necessary for Pioneer to get more balanced mana bases. Um, and if they're not there, their next slot is the Zendikar block a year from now. Um, people are saying that was going to be fetches. <laughs> of course it will not be fetches because they're not going to print fetches into standard ever again now that they want people playing Pioneer. Um, right. Uh, and then people said, well, no, it's going to be the cycle, the bad cycle they gave us uh, last time on Zendikar. Hells to the no, it's not going to be bad because that's part of why that set didn't sell that well. Um, it's going to be something else. It could be a replacement for fetches and it could be a completely new template. Or if we haven't got the fast lands by then, then it could be allied fast lands. Yeah, there, there's a couple ways they could go with it, but I think that the takeaway here is we should see the enemy fast lands in that format probably pretty soon. The, the, the better take that I've talked about with a few people is that whatever the collector booster equivalent is when we get to Zendikar, they could go diverge from the current pattern, which is that the collector boosters only have standard legal cards, and they could instead have um, a shot at extended art fetches and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. which will make those rocket off the shelf, even though modern is being sunsetted by that at that point. Yeah. You still, yeah. You still, still need that stuff for Legacy, you still need it for EDH, still good casual cards, still need it for Vintage, still need it for other stuff. So the you know fetches are not dead. They're just not going to have the same velocity, and I certainly wouldn't be advising people to invest in them. They, right, um, and yeah, if you... Sorry, go ahead. That's it. Okay. Uh, uh, my, my, you, got an, you got another one here for us one last pick Gilded Goose uh, could be a rare that goes 5 to 10 sometime this year um, for as long as they let Oko post up as the, the next best thing now that Field of the Dead is banned um, it's like in the top 15 cards in the format it's essential if you're, cat, if you're trying to build up to Oko uh, they don't print one mana uh, mana producers that often in the same standard block, so this is likely it for a while. And more specifically, it probably is good enough for Pioneer and might even be good enough for Modern, which I did not see coming. Um, I assumed that because you could only use it every other turn, it just automatically was bad. But the reality is that it, it's actually a one mana in in Modern. It's a one mana artifact that happens to have a shitty Birds of Paradise attached to it. So you have to look at it from a different angle. And in Pioneer, it's just an, it's one of the only one-drops that makes multicolored mana. You have Sylvan Karyatid, but that's on two. And then you have Elvish Mystic and Land of War Elves, which only make green. So Gilded Goose is going to be probably necessary in Pioneer. And the extended arts are out there for about $16 or so. And that's expensive for the non-foil extended arts. I was targeting most of those at like eight dollars um like under 10 but i think gilded goose is popular enough that it's probably going to get there they're already draining out and i suspect it's going to go 16 to 30 before it ever has a chance to collapse it's um yeah these non-foil extended art versions are definitely appealing because they're a great card like they're they're cool and people want to own them, but they appeal to the spike players too, right? Um, competitive players are able to put them in their decks, so 
this is uh, honestly my 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 concern. My concern with Gilded Goose is, is frankly, it seems like it could get banned, um, at least in standard, because I think Oko is going to ruin the format, and they're going to not want to ban Oko, and they're going to ban the Goose instead. I'm also annoyed that the Goose isn't made of food, because obviously you should have the option to have to you know, the whole sort of fable of the Gilded Goose is that they killed the they killed the Goose that laid the golden eggs uh just really terrible flavor um but yeah i do think that those gilded goose extended art cards are probably going to be real good because when people start putting it's going to show up a ton in standard and when people start playing oko and pioneer they're immediately going to be adding gilded goose to go with okos and it doesn't even matter how great it is people are going to do it which means that card is going to get more and more appealing so if you believe that it's a pioneer slash modern card and might see some play in commander even although i think that's more of a stretch um, then go for the extended arts around 15 or 16. If you think that's bu- bullshit and you think it's more of a standard card, I still think you can target the non-foils at around 5 because I think buy list at CK is already closer to 6. So, And I suspect that if you're the kind of player that visits GP floors a lot, you're going to get some... Pre- it's going to end up on a hot list at some point this winter. Like Vendors are just going to be running through them so fast. They're always played as a 4 of. Um, you're going to be able to unload them pretty easily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. easy easy to Good. trade like at fnm for sure if you ever need to get out of them won't be hard yes yep um okay so that wraps up segment two the cards james and i oh, are watching no, we, we oh. missed one because we skipped around um oh yeah let me sorry. just quickly go, go through this stone coil serpent uh, has been totally underestimated uh it's going to be a fixture in hardened scales affinity which i think is going to be one of the best uh, decks with longevity. I think there's always going to be a mono red deck in Pioneer, and there's always going to be a hardened scales deck, and it's going to survive. There's no chance anything in it gets banned, and the deck looks very, very strong. It has a lot of the same pieces as it does in Modern. Um, uh, it has access to Walking Ballista and Hangerback Walker, and Stone Coil Serpent gives them uh, something with protection from multicolor that also has Trample. So that lets it get in past a bunch of stuff and uh, not be targeted by, say, Teferi Time Raveler. Can't bounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got a bunch of things going for it that people missed. And the extended arts are under 10 bucks. You can get them at 8 or 9 out there. That's an easy double up. Those will end up closer to 20 before things are said and done. Um, Hardened Scales is on my list of decks that could win a Pioneer tournament this winter. And I don't know if you caught it, but this is also showing up in those Rally the Ancestor stacks. I did not. Uh, I did not see that. Yeah, because it's a zero cost creature. So you get to play it. You And in fact, it's really good in the Rally the Ancestors decks because you can play it on one where you have nothing else going on. Uh, or like one or two if you're kind of stumbling it gives you something to get in the way because it plays a ton of zero cost creatures essentially so you get to play this anywhere on turn one two or three to sort of give you some blocker give you the ability to get in the way maybe put on some really pressure if you're in the need for that Um, and generally just be annoying and then when it's in your graveyard it's still a zero casting cost so when you rally for x is zero it it returns and then of course the goal is to return a bunch of zero cost creatures along with like your um, essentially your variations on blood artists your zula port cutthroats yes and just have like nine creatures die and just drain them all at once uh but yeah, so he's actually going to do work in a bunch of different places. So anywhere with hardened scales, he's an auto include, but he's got some combo potential too. So um, 
Honor, honorary, There's something there. Honorary call out to the Kaladesh Fastlands that, that they are probably the best lands in the format that have only seen a single printing. Um, mm-hmm. But let's get on to segment four. Quickly, we'll bra- breeze through the metagame we can review, which is that the Pro Tour results were uh, Javier Dominguez winning the whole thing with Gruel, and then you had the other uh, top eight decks were Bant Golos, uh, Bant Food, Simic Food, Bant Ramp. Mono Red Cavalcade, which we talked about earlier, Simic Food, and Mardu Knights. So format's reasonably diverse. There's a bunch of powerful decks, and now that they got rid of Golos, which was warping the format around it, it'll open up a little bit more. Um, I'm not super excited about it. In the wake of Pioneer, I think a lot of the MGG Finance action is going to be related to Pioneer and not standard for the foreseeable future. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's all about Pioneer right now. It's it's all going to be about Pioneer. It, Honestly, it wasn't really going to be about standard anyways, right? Like Oku is going to come through. It's probably going to put a huge amount of pressure on standard. People are going to get kind of sick of it. And they're just, you know, we don't talk about standard a lot to begin with. And it's just going to get even worse. Okay. So moving on to segment four, let's explore Pioneer from a couple different angles. I think the most important one that we can table is one that a lot of people are probably haven't connected the dots on yet. Um, And that is that there is no way that Wizards plan this format out with their partner Channel Fireball without figuring out ahead of time that they were going to have to head off the speculators and the vendors and make sure people could get into the format relatively cheaply. What that means is we are going to get a much higher reprint rate heading into the early stages of Pioneer than we would normally see or have seen for Modern. They've learned some things along the way, people, and there are going to be some major stumbling blocks. The first side effect, of course, of Pioneer, before we get into all that, is just that what does this do to modern specs? We've been telling people to get in on Modern Horizons for months, and that was good advice at the time. Is it still good advice? And I think that the answer there is the advice is less solid. Modern's going to survive for two or three years. People are not going to ditch their modern decks immediately. The closer, I think the easiest advice to give there is that the the more likely that your cards are either already legal in Pioneer and also in Modern, that gives you, that actually makes those better specs in the near future. Cards that are Modern only, including Modern Horizons, which was not grandfathered into Pioneer, which I guess was an option, um, and the cards like your Mox Opals and your... Uh, Tron lands and so forth, I would be get, looking to get out of those. Um, buy lists were reacted immediately and crashed on a lot of that stuff this week. I think you want to give it a little time. When you get closer to the modern GPs in the first quarter of 2020 and the buy lists have to come back up to fuel those tournaments, that's where you should probably be looking to get off the train on stuff that you're not playing with personally. Um the stuff that is now tri-format is going to be your best bet, as I said. So, like, if it's it's played in Pioneer and Modern and Commander, now you're in an even better position than you were six months ago. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on board. Like, the, the, I, I agree that it puts Modern stuff in a real tough position. Um, it makes all the Modern Horizons cards we've been talking about for the last three months a lot shakier. Uh, I mean, I just bought, I don't know, like six Urzas or something like that around 40-ish, 42, $43. Um, because I'm like, damn, like this deck is really good in modern. Urza is a crazy card. He's great in commander. 
Uh, and I'm like, this is going to be a 70 or $80 mythic in short order. And now he's down to like 32 right now. It's like dropped 10 bucks because not only, you know, there was a small bump in Modern Horizons supply recently, but beyond that, you know, that didn't help, but that was fine. But this is definitely taking some of the wind out of the sails in Modern. Uh, so, and like you said, any of the cross staple cards are are great. Anything that's modern only is certainly much shakier. And honestly, I think, I you know, people, there, there's this idea that like, oh, they'll let them run in parallel for a while and modern Pioneer may not be successful. And that's all true. But really, I don't see Pioneer failing. I, I think very confident Pioneer is going to unseat modern real fast. And the reason for that is that whatever bands you have to make in Pioneer to whip it into shape either already exist in modern treasure cruise dig through time etc or they already took place in standard and everybody's just going to nod their head and go yeah we were kind of expecting that and the i i think that pioneer's worst case and it and it will come true a few years out is it basically has all the same problems as modern from different angles like a bunch mm-hmm. of busted decks etc like we said but that's no worse than modern and in some ways it's better because you yeah you, and i mean you don't have and you don't have fetches slowing down the format. You don't have hundred dollar mox opals yet. You will get something like that down the road, but you're just hitting that reset button, giving people something to get excited about and think about in a fresh way. You, they're going to make a bunch of products that lean into it, and I think that's where most of the risk mm-hmm. comes from. As a as a player, Pioneer is everything that I want in a format. I loved Modern when it came out because this was a brand new experience. Uh, I wasn't gated on not owning the legacy cards, um, but it did. It felt like more than standard. Like there was definitely a deep enough card pool that you had good synergies to make it a, you know, kind of a, an emergent format that wasn't necessarily the case with like extended all the time. Um, so it gave you enough room to breathe, but it wasn't so big that it felt like overwhelming. It has its own identity because it's missing a lot of the key cards that let the other format be defined kind of define itself uh and the fact that it's going to run into the same problems as modern don't bother me as a player because i'm just excited to have a new format to throw myself at and i don't think wizards cares either like it doesn't really i don't see it really bothering wizards if staples like it's going to be much harder first of all to have like mox opals and cards like that um, because the supply is generally so much larger within the card pool that is legal in Pioneer relative to what mo- mir- modern was because, you know, the Mirrodin block, the original Mirrodin block, the 8th edition block, um, that stuff was a real mess at the start of that format. Uh, they're going to be better about being able to control that, so it's going to pr- slow that down a little bit as well. You've also, it's a new era in magic design. There's, like, no cantrips. There's very few cantrips, which is going to prevent a lot of those more degenerate decks from showing up. So I'm sure they'll be able to manage it better. Ultimately, it would end up looking something like modern, but that's so far away that that's fine. Um, so, so the, you know, I just know, I know that I, I feel like the format's going to be successful because I know I want to play it and I haven't even played like 60 guard competitive magic in at this point, a couple of years. So we've talked about where some of the opportunities come from. Let's talk about some of the risks. I mentioned uh, products that are obviously going to be targeted at Pioneer, including an inevitable Pioneer Masters style set. Um, one of the things that could, could happen that is an opportunity with, with 
print, printings for the format is if there was a Pioneer Master Style set, they could actually curate a list of cards from Modern Horizons and grandfather them in. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of there's a bunch of stuff like Urza that they probably don't want in the format because they know it's just the power levels pushed, you know, and and Hogak is still a feel bad in, of recent memory. But there's other stuff in Modern Horizons that could easily be in in Pioneer with no problem. And I think what we will see is that over the course of a few years, some of those cards will be brought into the format, and then people will get more value out of their Modern Horizons cards. So I'm not in a huge rush to un- unload uh, any of that in desperation. The other thing is a lot of the good stuff in Modern Horizons is is o- already good for Commander. So even if you can st- have to start considering Modern Horizons as Commander Masters, as people accused it of being up front, you're still not in that bad of a spot because the bottom line is that those are still boxes with a very high base cost. And that's going to mean that the associated staples are uh, very hard to come by a few years out. And... If I'm wrong and they don't reprint any of those cards and they and the focus is on Pioneer, then almost none of those cards will get reprinted, in which case you're in a situation where they have to go up just from their commander and casual demand alone. Yeah. So it puts them in a position where it's, you know, it's not the best for them, but it's not like the sky is falling on them either. When I suspect what's going to happen here is we're going to be looking at a wash. Most of the people in our Discord probably lost some money, are going to lose some money on modern cards in the next six months, but they're going to make about that much or more on all the craziness with Pioneer. So it's going to be it's yeah. going to be a wash for a while. It's it's not going to kill MTG Finance, but we have to be aware of them trying to make the format cheaper. And so here's the biggest risk that people may not have connected the dots on: the mystery boosters that were announced a month ago are probably part of an ecosystem designed by Channel Fireball and Wizards to increase attendance at Magic Fest. And the way it's likely to work is as follows. The mystery boosters are probably a curated cube draft drawn from the sets that are legal in Pioneer, so RTR forward. And it's probably going to be a... Not... You know, they can't put everything in there, And we don't know how big the set is. And they're not going to release the set list publicly. So it's going to be like us and Goldfish and a bunch of other sites are going to figure out the set list just by collecting data from people about what they've seen. But none of those cards are going to have collector numbers on them. So it's not going to be easy. And I suspect what's going to happen is... Did they announce they're not having collector's numbers? Yeah, they're not going to have collector's numbers. And there's no set list. That's what they said. Yes. Okay. It's meant to be a mystery, right? So you're not supposed to know what's in it. Now, we're going to figure it out because it's the age of the internet. So it's a little bit silly on their behalf because within a week, we'll know what's in it. But um, it allows them to shift what's in it over time. Now, the thing is, it's kind of a hassle to go back to the print printing press and collate things in a different way. So I don't actually expect that to happen too often. But I think that the plan here is that this is going to be a constant source of ever-present reprints where your specs are constantly under threat of reprint. So we are coming out of an era where we could kind of say, you know what? We know what the product mix looks like for the next six months. Barring a surprise, our specs are safe for a while. But for stuff that's specific to Pioneer, and this includes your Court of Callings, your Walking Ballistas, your Smugglers Copters, Master Waves, Eidolon of the, Eidolon of the Great Ravel, Ramen Up Ruins, Nykthos, all this stuff is not safe. 
And I think that we're going to be in an era where you're looking at this stuff from through the lens of if it was very recently printed, it might be unlikely to show up there. Like, I'd be surprised if Throne of Eldraine cards are in the uh, mystery packs. That seems a little weird. Like, it's an in-print set. Putting out boosters that include Eldraine cards seems very strange. But anything from Kaladesh era, Shadows over Innistrad era, and and before that, like back to RTR, seems very likely to show up. Like, I'd be so surprised if we don't get reprints of Supreme Verdict, Abrupt Decay, and all the cards I just mentioned. And they can't get all of it, but I can. I would guess that like 30 to 40 to maybe even 50% of the relevant stuff is about to catch a reprint. And so what we said when we kind of figured out this news on the weekend ahead of the official announcement to the Pro Trader Discord was, listen, you're, you need to get in and out quickly here. Like you probably have three weeks before that first mystery booster gets cracked at the Pro Tour in Richmond, uh, November 7th, I believe it is, um, before a whole bunch of reprints hit and you're just going to get wrecked because... All of a sudden, you're going to be facing... It's not just that... It's not that they're going to be so many of each in print. Part of what we don't know so far is how big that cube is. The smaller the cube is, the worse off it is for any given reprint in it. And the bigger it is, the better. So if it's a... Because a normal set is whatever. Two, uh, 300 cards, right? Uh, th- no. Yeah. 350? 350 was the old fall set numbers, but I don't know if that's still the case. So in and around that number. So if it's a, say, 1,000 plus cube, then it's roughly three times the size of a normal set. So you have three times less of any given rare or mythic. Right? So uh, yeah. so the bigger they make this cube, the the smaller the impact of uh, of any given reprint. But if these packs are carrying the 50% boost in foil drop rates that we've seen with Throne of Eldraine, if they're going to carry on the theory behind uh, Booster Fund, Project Booster Fund, um, then that's a problem. Because if you're carrying, if you're currently holding $40 foil walking ballistas, for instance, those are about to be $10 to $15. Because even if ballista is a constant four of in this format, non-foil ballista is probably going to get drilled down under $10 and the foils will be very close to it. And I and I, and I thought I think for a lot of this modern era stuff, I don't think pack foils are gonna are going to be able to withstand a heavy foil reprinting and differentiate themselves with a huge multiplier. Okay, so you're trotting out some information there that I don't remember hearing. So I need some clarification here. Go for it. I went looking for collector's boosters info on the wizard site and Not all I found mis- mystery booster. Oh, mystery booster. And all I found was one post that essentially says they exist and the details would come forward. So where, and I, now I'm not saying that doesn't mean that I'm calling you a liar. It just means wizards web presence is absolutely garbage. So no, no, no. This, this, where this, this is, is this, this insight coming from? Yeah. Th- this isn't information that's public. This is the com- a combination of theory crafting and reaching out to our network and being able to glean that we're on the right track. So the, the just think about it from the top down, your wizards, your channel fireball, you're trying to create, a magic fest experience that people will want to come to more often than they have been. How do you do that? Part of it is a new format pioneer. Boom. Give it a bunch of GPs. Now you're, those are going to be very busy. What's the other half. You got to get people cards so that 
Pioneer isn't too expensive and they have to choose between that and other. Because the thing is, like, there's only so much money for each of us to spend. So if, if Pioneer is really expensive to play, as expensive as Modern, then people have to make tough choices and they might just choose Modern and then Pioneer doesn't take off as fast as they want it to. So they have to make Pioneer cheaper than Modern. It has to be closer to standard. They're going to do that by flooding a bunch of reprints. Well, how do you distribute the reprints? Well, the best way you can do it that benefits Channel Fireball and Wizard simultaneously is by cutting out the middlemen and dumping a bunch of these mystery packs as constant side events at these GPs that have the cards in them necessary to play Pioneer. So you pay twice. You pay pay once to pl- play in the drafts that get you the cards and you use the cards to build the decks and you go ahead and you play in the Pioneer events. That just all fits so tightly together that I have no problem believing it just from that angle. Um, but we're, hmm. but we also got confirmation through our network that, yeah, more or less, that's pretty much what's coming. Now, what we don't know is how big the set is. We don't know which cards are included. We don't know um, whether the foil drop rate is high enough yet. But the general concept, I feel pretty confident about that that's how it's going to play out. Um, and it makes sense. They, the timing works, right? Because they've announced Pioneer. They announced the Mystery Boosters. They set the whole thing up as being something exciting. And what else would it be other than a bunch of cards that are playable in Pioneer? Now, it, well, it, it doesn't mean that the cards in these Mystery Boosters are exclusively Pioneer cards. But there's a strong motivation on their, behalf, on, on their part to make a large chunk of them relevant to Pioneer to help get those cards in the format on top of whatever else might be in the pipeline, like a pioneer masters next spring or whatever. Cause that could easily be the June product next year, right? Pioneer masters um, with whatever isn't in the mystery boosters and some new cards probably. Uh, okay. I, I'm on board with most of this. I'm not sure that I see them doing that much distribution for that long of a period of time so you're thinking that these mystery boosters are around like beyond 2020 i think mystery boosters are intended to be a permanent feature that feeds reprints and Hmm. and one of the reasons it doesn't just correct but let's put it in perspective there it's a very different product so we need to understand it better it's not that it crashes format prices across the board right away because if it's a really big cube like we said it's, it's the equivalent of all of the cards that are being included in it, including in it catching a reprint, but a reprint at a relatively low print run level. Because these packs are only going to be available in two places. They're not going to be at big box stores. They're not going to be in booster boxes. You can't buy them as a box anywhere. You have to either sign up for an event at a GP, and they can only run 100,000 packs worth or 200,000 packs worth a year or something through that system. And then there's apparently going to be an LGS version. And I would imagine that the LGS version will be, will have a differentiator. Um, And I think I figured that one out too. And this is just theory crafting, but we had heard a rumor earlier this year that there was supposed to be in the collector boosters for throne of Eldraine, that there was going to be like masterpiece, cryptic command, Rafik of the many and uh, Sarah angel. And we were expecting we talked at one point on cast about how um, that stuff was expected to show up there. Well, it never did. And one of our contacts said, well, you know what? Those actually might be masterpieces that are designated for the mystery boosters. It could be that those are all cards that appear in the mystery boosters and that the mystery boosters have a, a certain percentage chance of cracking a masterpiece version of any of the cards that are in there. 
or a subset of the cards that are in there. So it could be that there are 30, 40, 50, 60 masterpieces and you have a one in 30 pack chance of opening it or something. And maybe that's the the difference between the, the channel fireball packs and the LGS packs. LGS packs have the same cards in them, but don't have the masterpieces. So if you want a chance at those, in the same way that they they have been luring people into the commander events with the the soul ring, the premium soul ring, this could be the way of getting people to show up for GPs. Is you only get a chance at these premium cards if you're on site. Hmm. I mean, I don't. I don't. I hate any of that. Uh, they've never done anything like that before. This is all pretty new. It's- yeah, so it's kind of hard to put that into the framework of what we're used to, what exists, and like their distribution models, like their supply chain. Because if you're talking about permanent bo- mystery boosters that also can be have their contents change over time, like, oh, I went to the GP in January and like these cards were in it, but then in June, different cards are coming out of them. Yep, that's what's going to happen. But I, but that's pretty rough. That also doesn't that that's that's pretty rough for the reprint equity too. Yep. I mean that takes away their ability to to like get really good reprints by doing that. Well, say say it's a thousand card cube. Maybe a hundred of the cards involved matter in terms of stuff people would have been that that was already of high value, and people are disappointed if it the value was affected negatively. Um, you know, if Oko is in those packs at some point. Maybe he's only in there for six months or a year, and then they rotate him out. Like the best stuff doesn't stick around for too long, so it does get a chance to breathe. But you probably, I, I will be very surprised, even if I'm right about all the rest of it, to see Oko in it to start with, because he's already in regular booster packs. So I would think that it might be Kaladesh back in the mystery boosters, the stuff that people might not have at hand that will spike if they don't reprint it. As we've already seen this week, I mean, all the stuff on our list is stuff that didn't doesn't have enough supply sitting around in the market to prevent a spike. The mystery boosters are meant probably meant to alleviate that. Now, even if I'm wrong about all of that, and mystery boosters are, you know, maybe have some relevant reprints, but aren't really all about that from that angle. Expect some other threat <laughs> to your holdings in the very near future. So if I'm wrong about all that, then we could easily see a Pioneer Masters before Christmas or something. Because they want to set up for the four Pioneer GPs in Q1 with easy access to cards. So something's got to get dropped. I I guess my, you know, my gut reaction would be they will put these cards in. They will do these mystery boosters for like... The mystery boosters will have a set inventory list, however deep it is, uh, and they will run it for a set number of months. It could be it could be all of 2020, really, but then that's it. Then they're gone. Like the, we we're gonna spend one year seeding the market with additional cards to let people get into Pioneer, but after that we're gonna kind of back up a little bit. Um, and approach it that way and then just try and keep reprints and standard reprints and master sets and that type of thing. Cause that's how you sell master sets is by having cards that are really chase cards. And maybe they don't think that they can balance a constant supply of these mystery packs when whatever they're going to end up getting called pioneer packs with prices high enough that people will want to buy 
the Masters editions. I mean, I think a lot. But it's of, an it, inter- It's it's interesting though. That's a tough. That's a that's a tough line to walk too. Hmm. Yeah. It. I think in part that's going to depend on how successful mystery booster drafts are. If they're very popular and CFP is making a bunch of money on them, and he- consequently Wizards is making a bunch of money on them, um, and it seems to be keeping prices in check for Pioneer, then you'll see them for the foreseeable future. If they are very unpopular. People don't enjoy it, and therefore nobody's cracking the packs, and they're just sitting around in the warehouse at CFB. Well, then, yeah, that's a different story. They'll look at it. They'll come at it from a different angle. And you're right. It could be the Band-Aid that they only apply for a period of time until they can really you know, drop a fresh product into the format. But at minimum, people have to assume this is what's happening, because if you don't, you're going to get caught out. Like, what's a sell right now? Everything. Pretty much everything for Pioneer that spiked this week, sell it, sell it, sell it. If you're holding foils that you were hoping were going to get there in Modern that happen to be relevant in Pioneer, sell it. Like I have, I found six foil walking ballistas that I picked up at like 35 at some point that I was hoping we're going to get to 50 or 60. Selling those. Buy list them if I have to. Because if that catches a reprint in those mystery boosters and the foil drop rate is 50% plus, cratering. They're going to crater. And that also applies to things like I could see the fast lands from Kaladesh show up in these boosters easy breezy. In fact, that would be top of my list because they wizards would have identified early that that's the best lands in the format. They're a few years at a print. They already went five to ten dollars this week. They'll go to twenty if they don't print them soon. So and every cube has to have a few land cycles. So probably most of the land cycles that are at least two of the land cycles that are necessary in this format are going to catch a reprint imminently here. Well, those are definitely going to be a hot target. And I really wanted to pick blooming, uh, wait, blooming sanctum or spire bluff canal. Shoot. No, 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 no. Black green and blue green. Um, Oh, uh, but botanical sanctum, the botanical sanctum and blooming marsh. But the prices had already moved enough, and I'm also worried about those getting uh, reprinted. I, they're all sells. Like, I've, I've got a bunch of Russian. Everything's a sell, it, really. Now, now, one of the things I will say, though, is reprints that show up in collector boosters do protect one thing. Foreign cards. My, I'm not worried about my Russian Spire Bluff canals, because you can't reprint those in the mystery boosters. I'm pretty sure mystery boosters will be English only. Globally. I don't think they're going to print those in multiple languages. So any like Russian foil Jaspers Prodigy or whatever, I'm not in a rush to sell that. That's that's going to be, or like uh, San Diego Comic Con black outline Jaspers Prodigy. I was in on those over 200. They're about 160 right now. I'm going to hold those. Those will probably hit 300 if the card is good in, in Pioneer because it won't matter that the regular version is reprinted because I'm holding the masterpiece. Uh, well, I have a playset of those as well, so I would also like to see those too. Yeah, <laughs> to uh, keep moving. I, I, w- I was in it like I think I paid six hundred or six sixty for the set. Yeah, I, I've been so I've been stuck with mine better. for a while, but I have no intention of selling. I just picked up a German foil Jace com- confidently today at forty two, because like I said, like I think J- JVP is a shoe in for those mystery boosters, but he'll be a mythic, and that will help push his price down. The foils may take a beating, but the, the foreign foils are still going to be very, very hard to come by. And they've, they've pretty much drained out of the market overseas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to take a moment here to address something that I saw pop up both in our Discord and across the greater internet. Uh, just to caution people, 
the FOMO right now is through the roof. Mm-hmm. People are going nuts about this. Now that's its own discussion, right? Like that's something we, you know, we can we can swing back around to that point. It's just people are so thirsty to spec on Pioneer. But more specifically, you aren't a pro player. Like I don't I, chances are you are not a pro player. So <clears throat> A, I don't believe that virtually any of you are sleeping up decks of Pioneer and have been playtesting that for the last 24 or 48 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours. B, even if you did do that, I don't trust your results. C, it hasn't been long enough for any of your results to like be meaningful. Basically, it's fun to brainstorm for this. Absolutely. Go hog wild. But don't brainstorm and then buy specs based on a deck you brew that you think is good. Because I caught a lot of people doing that. And I was trying to caution them. I'm like, yeah, you're, <laughs> you know... God, I don't remember what it was, but they had a couple that they were brewing up and they're like, oh, this sounds really good. Oh, maybe I should go buy this. And I'm like, no, just because you put it on paper and thought that it sounded good with these other seven cards in a deck, it doesn't mean that any of this is good. Wait for the people who get paid to do this to start figuring out what decks are good and what cards are good and use that information. Now, and and, and keep and keep an eye when top eights, busted looking top eights develop spot, right, spot, and- spot the deck top aided even though nothing in it is going to get banned because that's the deck you want to invest in assuming by that point you know what's in the mystery boosters and what's not and for for me the important part here is look for card synergies don't look for decks if you realize for instance there there is a dark depths vampire hex mage combo for instance or something you know similar to that that's a that's like a that's a synergy that's a combo that's good that's what you spec on. But putting together Gilded Goose and Oko and Teferi and Spell Queller and then some ridiculous five drop and calling it saying, wow, this deck looks good. I'm going to go buy that five drop because it's the only card in here that's not already too expensive. Like that's not good. So just keep your own deck construction abilities in mind and don't get ahead of yourself. We all want to spec on Pioneer, but the the feeding frenzy window has already passed you got to take it easy for a little while here. And like, I, you know, we went through our picks in segment two and cards that we like the look of, but that doesn't mean you need to buy them today. Um, you know, give it a little bit of time to breathe. Uh, and I just don't want to see anyone rushing out and spending a lot of money on cards that they, that really are not wise choices. Well, the thing is like, I think Ramanap and Nykthos both could show up in the mystery boosters, but they're not mm-hmm. guaranteed. Everything can. They're not- Everything can. So, well, well, not everything, but like a, a lot of the stuff is very likely because it seems likely for Wizards to have spotted that they need the reprint. But if they if we get a week out from Mystery Boosters being explored and they're not on the list, well, now you're in a very good position. I would expect something like Nykthos to make it in for a couple of reasons. Devotion is an obvious deck in the format, and we're about to head back to Theros. So there's plenty of demand for Nykthos in general. They're probably giving us devotion mechanics in Theros. So if I was putting in a rare utility land into my cube, Nykthos is an easy pick. Whereas something like Oko just got re just saw its first printing. So they could put Eldraine cards in the in the mystery boosters, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense because there's plenty of supply in the market. So I think that that's why my picks lately that I think are going to see the best returns are things like Oko. Extended Art Oko, Extended Art Foil Oko, you know, Extended Art Stone Coil and Wishclaw Talisman and all this stuff that 
isn't going to show up in these mystery boosters isn't going to go show up in pioneer masters it's they're going to give the normal amount of room to breathe for stuff that's already in print so corset 2020 and eldrain cards that have new life breathed into them in pioneer are much more attractive to me than you know etherworks marvel which uh well i guess smuggler's copter is a better example i think etherworks marvel may not be in the booster packs because it's kind of a bad cube card so when we say that everything could be in there, that's not true. Smuggler's Copter can be in there because it's just a great card. Like, it's a bomb and draft. Um, but Etherworks Marvel requires enough energy cards, and the bigger the cube is, the worse your energy theme becomes. So I think it's very possible that a lot of the energy cards are not in the Mystery Boosters. And if Etherworks Marvel is good but not busted, doesn't get banned, and isn't in the Mystery Boosters, then that's probably a 20 to $30 Mythic. Yeah, we'll need a, we'll need a little more information before we can speak confidently to any of that. Yeah. I feel like, but I, I think your reasoning is sound. That you know, if these are packs that are intended to be really drafted, then yes, uh, energy is a tough theme to put in there. Uh, where something like Smuggler's Copter is much easier. So I, I think we're we've kind of hit a sell what you've got, and otherwise you're in a holding pattern and evaluate as new information comes in and it's going to come in fast you know people are already streaming themselves talking about it in deck building i think it goes live on mtgo on what wednesday tomorrow so you're going to all you meet you're going to by the time you're listening to this there's already going to be people playing matches which will give you some insight but i i wouldn't go super deep on anything until we have more information on those packs because that's going to give you like you need first of all you need to get past the first several weeks of online play and figure out what's going to get banned and second of all we need to know what's going on with the packs those are the two major hurdles for me for running out and spending seven thousand dollars is I need to know what I'm worried about. Um, and I, you know, I bought like 26 Emrakuls and I'm already a little nervous about those. Um, because at the time, like they, once the pioneer announcement went live, I just scrolled down to the band list, saw the five fetches tabbed over to channel fireball and hit checkout on my, every Emrakul I had in the cart. Uh, <clears throat> And hadn't really thought too much about it. It was only after I bought a bunch of stuff that I went back and read the announcement and they said, oh, we're going to ban heavily in the first few weeks. I'm like, oh, <laughs> might have slowed down my purchasing decisions if I had read that sentence beforehand. But that's fine. I'm not that worried about it. But those are the two major pieces of information I'm looking for is what's in the collector's boosters and what's in the um, what people are what people are building and then what's uh, showing up on the initial ban list. And while I'm thinking about it, the other thing I, I forgot to mention earlier, but as I'm looking around on my desk is, uh, you know, as far as the modern goes, I actually went through my spec boxes, which I have been sorely neglecting. Um, and I pulled out every single card that was, that is basically modern only and it's getting buy listed. Because at this point, like, it doesn't mean that they're all dead, right? Some of them are still reasonably viable, but they've all been profitable, essentially. None of the, I haven't really lost on any of them. Um, worse is they've kind of flatlined, but they're just not worth hanging on to at this point anymore. It's like the debt, the, you know, my stock box is def de desperately needed to be pruned. And now it's like, okay, there is now a, you know, an end to this format, most likely at some point. 
And these aren't doing me any more good collecting dust. So I'm going to take anything that's halfway decent and ship it off, kind of free up some space, free up some funds, get some store credit going for the uh, early pioneer buys. I didn't ship everything. Like I have a box of soul spikes that aren't going anywhere because they're still only worth 30 cents. So I might as well hang on to them. But anything that I could get more than essentially three or four bucks for is is going. Yeah, I've got like 5,000 in store credit I'm sitting on spread between Europe and, and CK. Uh, so <laughs> I, I was well positioned to dive in on a lot of this, but yeah, I could see stuff that is in modern, um, that isn't likely to get there before modern fades out of existence. You know, anything that was going to be a two to three year hold, that's too long now. You, if it, if it's not, if it's not winning modern tournaments in the next six to 12 months, then it's not something you need to be deep on anymore you know and your best bet personally is to play a deck that bridges the formats like hardened scales affinity like that's good and modern and it's going to be good and pioneer and you know that that's how you can uh, minimize your exposure all right we got to wrap mm-hmm. up here for the week we're going to certainly have tons more talk next week when i'm sure we'll be going through uh, mtg goldfish results uh, from five lists online and we're also going to have somebody on the floor at the magic fest richmond um who's going to be gathering data uh, uh from those mystery boosters and that's going to be an exclusive inside our discord so certainly a good time to be signing up if you've been thinking about it if you want to get ahead of what is happening um you know pretty much everybody who hung out in our discord this weekend made a bunch of money. So um, the value from MTG pro trader, MTG price pro trader has never been higher. I, you know, I will tell you that um, I, you know, I haunt the discord a lot less than some of the other guys do, but I was pretty active, you know, since Monday, cause I want to see what's going on, but it's been valuable. If for no, then for uh, no other reason that I, you know, the pioneer also happens and I'm like, okay, like, you know, I can get through some level zero stuff on my own. And then I'm like, ah, what else is going on? What are other people thinking about? What's interesting? And just having a group of people who are also all talking about it and 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 postulating decks and combos and things like that is like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good one. Maybe I'll go check that out. Or even sometimes someone will say, oh, what about this? You know, they'll, they'll float an idea and I'll be like, well, that's bad. But you know what? That reminds me of this other card. Yep. Um, so just having that like active conversation going on around you is really useful for sort of enlightenment to like you can't, you're just not going to remember everything going on in the format and what's possible on your own. Some of you guys might already get that from like your your local magic Facebook chats type of thing, which is also a valuable angle. But they're not people that are worried typically about card prices. So it's nice to have everyone in the room kind of circling the same general concept of we're interested in what's possibly profitable, not just what's good. Or even just like saving you money or maxing your value. I mean, all, we, we have people in the in the Discord that are certainly speculation oriented, but there's also a lot of people that are just freak players that want to make magic cost less and they get just as much value. Um, all right. right, so you guys can find me on Twitter at MGG Critic as well as via my weekly articles on MGGPrice.com. What about you, partner? Uh, I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MGGPrice.com, doing the Watchtower series, and uh, I do show up in the Discord occasionally. Uh, shill it a little harder. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. No kidding. (laughs) 
Uh, who is our credit winner this week, James? Uh, hopeless with a three instead of an E. So H-O-P three less hopeless um, in our hanging out in our Discord wins a $25 gift certificate to Cool Stuff Inc. Uh, once again, MGG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number five, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That brings us to the end of MGG Fast Finance Podcast number 191. I've really enjoyed our discussion, Travis. I can't believe you took my damn section again. I'm very upset about this. You gotta be this. flexible. You gotta, you gotta roll with it. Uh, uh, yeah, episode 191. Excellent episode. I think everyone's gonna be very happy with it in the long run. I uh, hope you guys are having as much fun with Pioneer as James and I are, and we will see all of you again next week for episode 192. See you then, James. See you later, Travis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.